Okay, so today, uh, I actually, I was reading something recently uh, about Primal Scream. And um, the first link I want to send is uh, <clears throat> a page from Wikipedia uh, on Primal Therapy. And this may be a series now. Uh, maybe half a dozen weeks, six weeks, five weeks, I'm not sure, uh, where the overall title may be uh, From Pain to Release. Uh, and the constituents are uh, pain, neurosis, catharsis, and uh, release. So from pain to release, <clears throat> or pain, neurosis, catharsis, and release. And... Um, the second link is a page, again, I'm going to base from Wikipedia, which is not politicized in the, you know, not too politicized in the discussion of uh, psychological theory, uh, and make additional <clears throat> comments from Buddhism, Hinduism, raw material, um, starting from the Wikipedia basis. The third link is on catharsis, and uh, those will be where we look for the next few weeks. Uh, and I'm at the outset here, make it clear that in any discussion, first of all, about primal scream therapy or primal therapy, uh, there's a big difference between theory and practice. Uh, primal therapy uh, used to be called Primal Scream. That was the name of the book that the guy wrote in the early 70s, uh, Arthur Janov, who, if you look at him, you can see he's got a lot of pain <laughs> still in his mind. And he um, is a controversial fellow. And um, his theory, I think, is quite excellent but the practice or the therapeutics of what they do, um, what they did, and there are not that many therapists doing this anymore, uh, I think is quite problematic because in some ways they're, they're, it really brought a lot of trouble and they, they got censured heavily in the academic fields of psychology and medicine and even lawsuits and the center burned down in California and all sorts of trouble they had. <clears throat> and he was a complicated guy. So, you know, uh, there's a difference between theory and practice. <laughs> there's a difference between the the life and mind and psychology of a founder and, and some of the ideas um, that he or she puts out as very useful. And what I found was particularly the theory of how pain is developed and how pain is released. Catharsis is a common term for the release or purgation, purging, purification, uh, releasing of pain and, um, you know, strong uh, patterns that are associated with neurosis or associated with um, unhelpful mental process. <clears throat> so I, I, this is certainly useful for anybody who's listening who does therapy or counseling or helping others. It's also useful for us to take a integrative view, because this is going to be both 
traditional psychology or uh, you know Freudian, Jungian, Janovian primal therapy approach in terms of the theory of pain and its release, it also brought in with Buddhism and the raw material and my own experience and my own counseling background, working with clients, you know, since or, or 1990. Uh, and and discuss just what just what this is um, the process by which pain translates to neurosis or something uh, unhelpful or distorted mental process that leads to trouble internally and externally in the sense of self and a quality of our relationships or our activity in the world and and how it releases <clears throat> so it's not primary it's not it's not specifically transpersonal psychology but it's a transpersonal approach to uh, an understanding of uh, the process by which pain goes to neurosis and can be released and we can uh, be free and uh, more free so <clears throat> uh, let let's let me just do some reading in this first page on primal therapy so primal therapy and I'm going to <clears throat> make little points along the way. Primal therapy is a trauma-based psychotherapy, <laughs> meaning it's uh, based in uh, analysis or discovery and release of trauma, <clears throat> but it also can be criticized for causing some trauma, and that's these are the problems with the practice or the therapeutics of this approach. But I'm not that I'm not recommending primal scream. <clears throat> I'm really um, recommending. Uh, a deeper contemplation of the principles that he put forth. I think the guy understood things very well. So, primal therapy being called here a trauma-based psychotherapy created by Arthur Janov, J-A-N-O-V, who argues that neurosis, right, mental distortion, is caused by repressed pain of childhood trauma. That's a very standard psychotherapeutic approach. Janov argues that repressed pain can be sequentially brought to conscious awareness and resolved through re-experiencing specific incidents and fully expressing the resulting pain during therapy. <clears throat> and that's where they're known to be uh, people screaming their heads off in uh, primal therapy sessions, which I don't really encourage, but and, and encouraging it also leads to some problem, and that's where they got into trouble. Going on, in therapy, in this approach to therapy, the patient recalls and reenacts a particularly disturbing past experience, usually occurring in early life, and expresses normally repressed anger or frustration, especially through spontaneous and unrestrained screams, hysteria, or violence. And that particular focus, I'd say, on anger and frustration is really what got them into trouble, this, this whole approach in this school. Uh, because it's not only um, repressed anger, frustration <laughs> that leads to cure or release or, or purification. <clears throat> there's also sorrow and there's fear and there's much more going on. Primal therapy, uh, so uh, they're, they're particularly keyed to um, the uh, isol identification and catharsis here of uh, anger, screams, hysteria, violence, uh, which is, again, uh, quite problematic when you go searching for that and fishing for it. Primal therapy was developed as a means of eliciting the repressed pain. The term pain, with a capital P, capitalized 
in discussions of primal therapy when referring to any repressed emotional distress and its purported long-lasting psychological effects. <laughs> purported, right? Oh, really? <laughs> you think that repressed emotional distress doesn't have long-lasting psychological effects? Well, it often does. And so there's, there's a certain biases in the writing of this article, too, which is common to Wikipedia. Uh, but everybody's got their bias. Janov criticizes the talking therapies, and there is valid criticism, as they deal primarily with the cerebral cortex and higher reasoning areas and do not access the source of pain, with a capital B, within the more basic parts of the central nervous system. And so down the page, which I'm going to get into, um, the, the theory here <clears throat> includes an analysis of uh, three modes of mind, which is really the body-mind, the feeling or emotional mind, or the thinking or intellectual mind, which is really three levels of consciousness, which is very much first, second, third chakra. Hey, hey. And so there are correspondences here with chakra theory for sure. And um, what Ra calls the, the roots of mind or the, the tree of mind. Ra, in fact, I, I did a talk or something on the tree. I think it was an article that I never finished called the tree of mind. Uh, there, is a, um, there is a stratification or layering or levels of, of mind itself, where the conscious mind is the most superficial, obviously. There, and and um, he seemed to understand that in terms of the anchoring of childhood pain and um, a sequential approach to its release. And, and so there's some very sophisticated thinking here also, what I think is sophisticated, going on. Primal therapy is used to re-experience childhood pain, i.e. felt, meaning uh, somatically experienced in the body, rather than conceptual memories. And that, again, led to some of their problem where they're kind of uh, fishing for catharsis. And you'll see anybody who's involved in psychology programs or study, there is this bias still in a lot of um, graduate programs in psychology, masters and PhD, particularly masters in counseling, like I did at CIIS, where there's a valuation of catharsis over, um, you know, non-emotional discussion. Um, and yet, you know, there's some truth that uh, intellectual discussion can be quite shallow and avoidant. It's called rationalizing. And so one can go into the intellect as a means of avoiding old pain. One can also be attached to old pain or attached to um, some expectation of a continual somatic experience, meaning continual intense feeling, feelingfulness. And, and certain groups, certain you know, nations on earth, <laughs> certain so-called races or ethnic uh, ethnic. Uh, divisions and ethnicities and certain people all over the place um, are certainly attached to emotionalism and uh, that's also uh, how they got criticized this this tradition this lineage in uh, counseling and so there is this um, proper balance in um, therapeutic process therapy or self-healing because really you know I'm not just talking here for people in graduate programs and counseling or people doing people who are working as healers or counselors, but us healing ourselves, the continual deepening self-healing 
release of old pain. Uh, we can consider, we ought to, or I do, certainly, looking at this, consider how this applies to my own long-term process of releasing pain and, um, you know, enjoying a, a freer, spacious mind-heart. So, <clears throat> uh, primal therapy is used to re-experience childhood pain rather than, meaning felt rather than conceptual memories, cause, and that's their bias, in an attempt to resolve the pain through complete processing and integration, becoming real, <clears throat> and that's that's what got them really into trouble, is the um, a, a sort of um, therapeutic demand <clears throat> for intensive um, emotional catharsis. It's not just primal scream, it's almost hy primal hysteria was um, induced or sought in many of the in many by many practitioners here an intended objective of the therapy is to lessen or eliminate the hold that early trauma exists or exerts on adult behavior right well that's great and so lots and lots of people or everyone to the extent that we manifest emotional charge right rod said the fully for the fully balanced entity no situation would uh generate emotional charge no situation would um would lead to emotional charge <clears throat> and so freedom from emotional charge um with heartful attentiveness not in a zombified state um presence and heartful connectedness uh balanced <laughs> without emotional charge is a condition of relative freedom while emotional charge generally at least i see um, is an indication that early trauma or pain or unresolved issues exert uh, some control on the person's uh, uh, current behavior and quality of interaction. <clears throat> and we see this all the time, you know, people who are stuck in a rut of what? Of anger, frustration, impatience, argumentativeness, or self-pity, uh, discouragement, pessimism or fear and self-contraction, self-blaming, low self-esteem. Uh, all of that is pretty much the result of uh, unreleased pain and some degree of trauma and past life patterns. <clears throat> and so releasing pain equals freeing the mind of the hold that unresolved issues or old pain and trauma exert on uh, the current conditions, on the current uh, behavior, but the current mind awareness being um, driven or being um, pull, pushed and pulled. We're pushed and pulled by our unresolved pain, unresolved patterns. So primal therapy became very influential during a brief period in the early 70s after publication of Janov's first book called Primal Scream. <clears throat> it inspired hundreds of spin-off clinics worldwide. So this is 45 years ago served as an inspiration for many popular cultural icons, John Lennon, James Earl Jones, and this pianist, Roger Williams, who um, is a very interesting-looking wanderer who died young and had a kind of unfortunate life, were prominent advocates of primal therapy. Primal therapy has since declined in popularity, partly because Janov had not demonstrated in research the outcomes necessary to convince research-oriented psychotherapists of its effectiveness, but there are really many other reasons why it declined. <clears throat> Number one, they had a lot of scandals uh, because um, there's, they were over-attached to hysteria. 
you know, therapeutic hysteria um, is is a problem. And um, there's something highly imbalanced about searching only for uh, repressed uh, trauma-based rage. Proponents of the methodology continue to advocate practice the therapy or variations of it. So there's some people doing this, but not too many. So let's look at the concepts section down the page. Uh, Janov states that neurosis is the result of suppressed pain. So neurosis we're going to look at next. And in fact, I'm going to look at that after we finish this first section uh, uh, regarding concepts. Because there, there's you know, a lot of controversy or there's a lot of confusion about what that word means. Neurosis versus psychosis. And neurosis is not even used in DSM. Um, psychological uh, handbook of mental health issues and conditions anymore. Neurosis, Janov believes, state that neurosis is the result of suppressed pain, which is the result of trauma. So trauma goes to pain. When the pain is not vented or released, it goes, it becomes suppressed. That goes to neurosis. That goes then to all sorts of limiting patterns and beliefs um, emotional charge and rigidity and and more suffering and trouble in relationships and all sorts of blind spots too so trauma goes to pain the pain may be released or maybe suppressed or or vented but if we're talking about early childhood trauma how well can an infant or a young child or anyone really in the young age know identify process and release their deep pain Uh, not too well and then that pain goes to neurosis, and then that neurosis goes to all sorts of distortions in mind associated with self, second chakra, and relationality, relationship, third chakra. And then blocks the ability to love, fourth chakra, or um, the, on the, the retention of the patterns and the beliefs, which represents... Actually, a defense mechanism against experiencing the original pain. Yeah, right. And so, uh, distorted belief as a defense mechanism. Uh, All sorts of uh, distorted beliefs of self. All sorts of distorted beliefs uh, associated with with other. Right? Second Second chakra, third chakra. Retention of those distorted beliefs of self and core beliefs about other, like... Nobody loves me. Nobody will love me. Everybody loves me. Everybody should bow down to me. Everybody should be my friend. I need everybody to love me. I need you to be this way. I hate when you're that way. Dot, dot, dot. I can't accept, I can't accept that. <clears throat> I won't allow that. I must have that. <clears throat> dot, dot, dot. All sorts of distorted, rigid beliefs uh, regarding other and relationship and, and relation to society. I've got to keep winning any loss you know, is a defeat and, and humiliation, you know, like the, the billionaires and the millionaires, what drives them? Distorted beliefs, <laughs> damn right, associated with distorted uh, self-beliefs too, second chakra, third chakra blockage, clearly, that keeps up fourth and fifth chakra blockage too, meaning they can't love, <laughs> they can't help anybody, lots of, lots of uh, rich and famous <clears throat> cannot help anybody, and they can't hardly help themselves, and you look at their face, they're all shriveled up. Look at the richest, the richest of the rich, and particularly the ideologues of various groups. They're so f- screwed up, they see their faces full of pain. And this is all old trauma, suppressed pain, 
neurosis, distorted beliefs, blocked chakras. So fourth is blocked, fifth is blocked, when second and third are blocked, when trauma-based pain or any old pain is not released and um, devolves into neurosis, which is called distorted beliefs of self and other. Then, according to Janov, the only way to reverse neurosis is for the neurotic, which really means for anyone. (laughs) Everyone is a neurotic, by the way, in this definition. Uh, The only way to reverse neurosis is for the neurotic, or a person, to recall their trauma in a therapeutic setting. There's some truth to that, I think. But but Vipassana meditation is a therapeutic setting, too. Self-love is a therapeutic setting, too. A loving relationship and friendship is a therapeutic setting too. Being close to nature is a therapeutic setting too. Listening to holy music or beautiful music uh, is a therapeutic setting if one can see it that way. Watching certain movies uh, is a therapeutic setting. Self-helping is the setting uh, of self-healing. The attitude uh, of seeking to learn and grow and heal and develop and be free and be honest with oneself. Uh, true love is a therapeutic setting. Anything, any any field of love, wisdom, and the higher the, the frequency or the greater the balance and development of love, wisdom in that field, whether it's a piece of music or an art piece or walking in nature, obviously, uh, living in nature, or a loving relationship or a loving close friendship, uh, or Vipassana meditation, or all sorts of other spiritual practice, actually, uh, can be called a therapeutic setting in which uh, one may slowly self-heal or resolve neurosis by allowing re- release of suppressed pain, for sure. And that—that's what you know. These all of these people, um, they have a—they have something to sell. They have. You know, they're hawking their wares. Hawking their wares, meaning they're selling their system. They're selling their approach. You know, I'm selling love and truth. I'm selling truth. Or I'm not even selling it, I'm giving it away. Very few, very little is sold here. It's mostly given away. Uh, Truth, wherever I find it, is, is, um, is wonderful. And that's called loving truth. Hey, hey. And, uh... We should love truth, and then we'll find it everywhere. We'll find truth and meaning and importance and relevance all over the place, actually. Uh, So there are countless therapeutic settings where there is love and wisdom or green, blue, indigo. Hey, hey. Where there is green, blue, indigo, there is a therapeutic setting or there is a field in which self-healing can occur, in which there may be a release of old pain, in which we may so-called reverse neurosis, in which we may dissolve the roots of emotional charge arising uh, spontaneously in situations. Going on, Janov contends that the neurotic, I don't know if he even wrote this way, it's just the way that, you know, Wikipedia wouldn't be the same. Whoever wrote this page, it's not Mr. Janov, so I wouldn't be, you got to, you know, kind of hold it lightly. He contends that the neurotic or the person with uh, suppressed pain, which is like nearly everyone, can thereby re-experience their feelings, um, their painful feeling, 
in response to the original traumatic incidents, but can now express the emotions that at the time were repressed, thereby resolving the trauma. So trauma, um, which is a form of violation. It's also a form of unmet needs or needs unmet. And, and you know, there's the case of the child crying and the no caretaker coming to help the child, the infant in some condition of pain <clears throat> um, or discomfort, crying or seeking help and not being helped, not getting help. Unmet needs can be considered traumatic uh, as well as any kind of abuse, obviously, is traumatic. But there's um, some degree of pain that then elicits a need. The need is to re re release the pain, <laughs> remove the pain, the source of the pain, right? Change the diaper or feed or warm or clothe or turn the light off or something. <clears throat> and so, you know, what comes first, the trauma or the pain? Well, you know, it's, it's hard to call that because um, there, there is... Uh, on there, there is painful uh, uh, sensory experience: <clears throat> cold to hot, hungry, thirsty, uh, dirty. You know, lonely. That's an emotional, and that's painful. Uh, but it's not necessarily traumatic. Trauma, can I would define trauma as extreme pain, or extreme mental emotional wounding associated with sensory pain or emotional pain or need so there's you know there, there's um, uncomfortable sensation that's relatively painful there is uh, there is emotional condition like loneliness uh, an infant lonely or anyone lonely that's a painful emotional state there is abuse or violation <clears throat> direct you know, physical, mental, sexual uh, abuse or violation being aggressed against, that's obviously painful and and generally is, you know, more or less traumatic. But painful sensation may not be traumatic. Not all, <clears throat> not all pain is traumatic, but all trauma is quite painful. But the point is, whatever the uh, intensity of pain whether it rises to the level of uh, structural wounding to the mind, what I would say is structural wounding, meaning, you know, a, a baby, <clears throat> and this is just using an infant as an example, um, feeling cold or hot feels some pain and discomfort, or certainly feels discomfort. The longer it goes on, the main, more pain the mind would feel too. When that is repeated again and again, or of a certain magnitude, I would say it's traumatic uh, because of its length and you know the, the duration of the painful experience. You know, difference of degree is a difference of kind, and so high degree <clears throat> of discomfort goes from simple discomfort to trauma. Um, and the trauma, I would say, is particularly. Uh, a violation or a damaging in the mind, not simply to the body. And that's the difference between animals and humans. Humans have a self-conscious mind that can remember uh, and uh, refashion or ferment <laughs> the fourth 
Kanda or Skanda called Sankara or Samskara, Sankara, uh, the compositing, fashioning, fabricating, compound, volitional compounding function of mind, thought form, creation that can, you know, turn pain into suffering and um, doesn't forget pain and even rewounds by thinking on it. And that repressed leads to neurosis. Uh, <clears throat> and so the, the point here that recalling trauma in a therapeutic setting or the catharsis of, of pain, which may be in the form of anger and screaming, it may also be in the form of sorrow and crying. Uh, you know, the, the, the catharsis of old sorrow leads to crying or many other symptoms, heart palpitations even, <clears throat> or vomiting. Uh, that, that, you know, there's all sorts of stuff. But uh, the trauma of, uh, that leads to the catharsis of anger uh, <clears throat> may be uh, experienced at any point in a therapeutic setting or with the intention of self-healing. Watching a movie, seeking to develop green, blue, indigo. I'm doing everything because I want to develop green, blue, indigo. The purpose of life is to you know, develop the higher centers. Right? Nityananda saying every moment is a test to go higher, to develop oneself further with appreciation for the lower or the physical, emotional, mental, interpersonal, social, too, of course. Yeah, no problem. Uh, but one can live, um, one, one can have a therapeutic approach to life or the intention of self-healing um, makes every setting a therapeutic setting. Everywhere I may learn and grow and everywhere I may be aware of the, um, the, the arising of old pain that had been suppressed that may have been associated with trauma or not but it is certainly something that I'd rather release and be free of. Going on, so Janov contends, uh, as I said, the neurotic the person can re-experience their feelings in response to the original traumatic incidents, uh, and they're basically catalyzing catharsis here. That's what this, this approach is. Catalyzing is a very hardcore, harsh catalyzing of catharsis. But then they, but you know, there are many other ways to catalyze catharsis, such as watching a beautiful movie or music or loving relationship or friendship or being in nature or meditation, you know, or sleeping in a lovely bed. All sorts of things can catalyze catharsis. Their focus is on re experiencing feelings that are intensive in response to original traumatic incidents then uh, they're expressing emotions that were repressed, right? Resolves the trauma to some degree. Janov believes that there's only one source of mental illness besides genetic defects, and that's imprinted pain. Of course, he has no idea about karmic carry-through from past lives. Okay. He argues that this unitary source of neurosis, meaning there's only one source, imprinted pain. And pain, does, pain is imprinting. Yeah, that's what... The imprinting of pain is trauma. That's one way to look at it. The distinction between pain and trauma is that when pain gets to a certain degree, it becomes trauma. This is just one way of looking at it. Uh, the uh, development or extension of pain, the, the accumulation 
the intensification, the duration of pain going on beyond a certain point imprint, is imprinting. And that imprinting is on both the cells of the body or the tissues of the body, the portions of the body, the chakras, no doubt, <laughs> their chakra blockages, and obviously um, to the mind, particularly second chakra dynamics of the sense of self. Um, every, quote, neurotic or every manifestation of, quote, neurotic tendency, which is a lot, and you'll see that when we go to the next page, uh, is is somehow, and is in many ways, I would say, or, or is essentially the result of imprinted pain on the mind, on the lower levels of mind, uh, first, second chakra levels of mind, right? So pain particularly is a first chakra disruption, yeah, physical pain, right? The, the, the sensory, sensory pain, too cold, too hot, um, <clears throat> a physical loneliness. Ra talked about the kind of loneliness that's of the body. Mm, a body left alone too long causes, is painful in, in very basic levels of mind. And so that's why solitude is a, pra- is a lifestyle that doesn't fit everyone too well. Most people stay out of it, but some people who are in solitude harm themselves or need less of it. Uh, Krishnamurti talked about that, I believe, that living alone is not is not right for everyone, metaphysically or spiritually, is harmful for some. And in Buddhism, obviously, people don't are not allowed to do solitary practice or ascetic practice in Tibetan Buddhism. You know, you don't do a three-year retreat at the beginning of your training. <laughs> you do it way down the line. And so... Um, the persistence of any type of pain beyond a certain point leads to its being imprinted, which I would call trauma, the distinction between trauma and pain. Uh, Janus, again, argues that this unitary source of neurosis, meaning the source of trauma or imprinted pain in the deep mind, which we can say is the source of uh, second, third chakra blockage, uh, can only be one effective cure re-experiencing. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that, frankly. Uh, and yet, the nature of that re-experiencing um, is much more subtle. The nature of the uh, sufficient, sufficient re-experiencing, to su- sufficient re-experiencing, su- you know, sufficient to release, sufficient you know catharsis is a um, tangible form of release but there's release that's with that's not um that tangible that's not uh very dramatic there's release through dream one can release old pain suppressed pain or trauma by dream through certain imagery in dream uh, by certain emotional charge released, expressed through dream. Ra talked about this uh, dream um, being some kind of a, basically um, intelligent energy or pranic or chakra rebalancing. Uh, not in those words, but that, that work on blockages in chakras can be done through dreaming. And so there are many, many... Um, ways by which uh, release can occur or cure of imprinted pain and therefore 
cure of neurosis or freedom from neurosis, which uh, need not only be uh, dramatic catharsis. So now we're getting it's a very subtle dynamics here about the nature of release of the roots of neurosis or imprinted pain, the roots of uh, lower triad, lower triad equals first, second, third chakra blockage. The roots of lower triad blockage, yes, I would say is generally imprinted pain, which could be called trauma, um, which pertains, however, to particularly first and second chakra dynamics. It's not just childhood, it's also past life. <laughs> you know, the my childhood before I was born. Tell me your childhood before you were born. Well, obviously it was my past lives. Mm, the past lives, one's past lives represents that one's childhood before birth. One's karmic carry-through pre-birth, pre-childhood. Pre-childhood, <laughs> childhood. Pre-childhood influences, which are many, which are past life tendencies, uh, which are held in the astral body, by the way, and precipitate down or precipitate out to the conscious mind based on particular catalysts, um, which may include the catalyst of the childhood pain, which goes to the point of trauma or not. But, you know, there's childhood pain as the catalyst for the precipitation of past life tendencies. There's, you know, mm, uh, meeting with a certain person or a certain incident. One gets triggered. Triggered how? That's a catalyst. Catalyzed, triggered to a certain, uh, to, to the arising of certain patterns, uh, which may not actually be associated with this lifetime's childhood, but the past life carry through uh, my inheritance from past lives. So I don't think that there's only, I don't think that there's a unitary source of mental illness um, beyond, you know, that, that is only imprinted childhood pain. Uh, but I do think that some form of re-experiencing or um, catharsis, um, some form of conscious mind revisiting, conscious mind re Reflashing, <laughs> re re resonating, um, re experiencing is certainly necessary. Now, at eleven eleven, here, thirty eight minutes in. Let's look at the page on neurosis and then come back to primal therapy. Um, this is very interesting stuff. I think. I hope you like it. So, page. Wikipedia neurosis. Neurosis is a class of functional mental disorders. So we're talking functional, and that's where the DSM thing changed on that issue of um, focusing on functionality. A class of functional mental disorders, that's how they call it now. <laughs> it used to be called mental disorders. Now it's called functional. Involving chronic distress, right. And that's the nature um, of mental emotional pain. It's called pain because it's distressing. However, <laughs> there are people, uh, you know, the people who believe uh, I'm, a, I'm a box of cereal, so you need to treat me like a box of cereal. There may not be distress there, but there certainly seems to be a delusion. <laughs> so neurosis distinction from psychosis is that neurosis is distressing, 
patterns of mental process, mental emotional process, therefore behavior too, uh, that don't have delusions and hallucinations. And so psychosis, um, the borderline between neurosis and psychosis is um, reality, um, <laughs> the, the departure from consensus reality. And many people would say that a lot of people seem to have departed from consensus reality today and are not even considered neurotic or unwell, but the vanguards of uh, progressive liberal society, which is a no, another long discussion. And some people would say, no, they're delusional. <laughs> They'll say, no, you're a racist or a sexist or a hater of some sort. Of course, they'll say that hatefully. So, uh, neurosis, functional mental disorder, or distress, distressing mental process, and it's not just the feeling distress, it's recurrent patterns in mind that indeed are distressing and, and we would say distorted, um, associated with deficient love wisdom, obviously, uh, that are ultimately uh, ending up harmful to self and other, but and not delusional or hallucina hallucinogenic or hallucinatory. The term is no longer used by the professional psychiatric community, of which I am not a member, in the United States, having been eliminated from DSM, Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, DSM, in 1980, a long time ago, right? Janoff, uh, <laughs> Janoff did it. So, uh, for nearly 40 years, this term that was um, used in earlier um, psychoana psychoanalytic traditions is gone, which is kind of interesting. Neurosis should not be mistaken for psychosis, which refers to loss of touch with reality. <laughs> now, these days, uh, in the uh, New World Order demoralization agenda, uh, the dumbing down of civilization or civilizational suicide, civilizational anomie uh, by design, uh, a lot of people are out of touch with reality and they're considered progressive vanguards, <laughs> not, not psychotic or neurotic or anything like that. <clears throat> That's interesting. Who are they? Figure it out yourself. Who can say? Who can say? Who can say what's true? But indeed, there are classes or categories of mental distress uh, one of the classifications is the distinction of neurosis versus psychosis. Psychosis in this schema being a loss of touch with reality. Of course, this point of reality, the, the definition of that is, uh, <laughs> is uh, hotly contested these days. Neither should it be mistaken for neuroticism, a fundamental personality trait proposed in the Big Five, personality traits theory, dot, dot, dot. So that's another matter. But let's look into this. Symptoms and causes, and this is why uh, graduate students in counseling programs or psychology programs are often distressed as they look at all the symptoms and say, damn, I'm really messed up. I've got all these symptoms or half of these symptoms. But there's a difference between uh, temporary patterns that may be associated with neurosis and uh, hardcore fixed neurotic um, mental process or um, true mental neurosis or deep attachment to distorted and harmful mental patterns. This, the, the deep attachment is not the same as temporary experiencing. So, like, there's a difference between um, 
getting angry periodically, you know, somebody punches you, you get angry. All right, is that neurosis? No, that's basically getting angry because somebody punched you, which is kind of ordinary. A Buddha wouldn't, but, you know, we're not Buddhas. So it's not, uh, it's normal at our level of development. It's not uh, necessary at all, but it's not neurosis either. So let's look in. And here things get a little messy. There are, this, uh, Mr. Wikipedia says, there are many different neuroses. Some of this actually goes into what I would consider psychosis. So there's obsessive-compulsive disorder, right? And the difference between, a, then there's obsessive-compulsive personality disorder, and that is a traditional distinction between neurosis and psychosis, is a disorder is neurosis and a personality disorder is psychosis. Now, I may be wrong, or some people may challenge that. When I was trained in 19, what, uh, when the hell did I, 19, late 1980s, right, at CIIS, so from 1988 to 1991, or 1987 to 1992, something like that, uh, I remember that uh, neurosis was um, various forms of disorders or these problems, but personality disorder crosses the line to psychosis. All right, and so here they're calling it neurosis. Obsessive-compulsive disorder, uh, they say personality disorder as well. Certainly obsessive-compulsive obsessive tendency. Obsessive is mental, compulsive is physical. So obsessive condition is I'm obsessing mentally about this. Do I look okay? Do I look okay? Is my nose too long? Is my eyebrow too dark? Is my hair too short? Is my something-something? So uh, mentally um, obsessing around particular idea or belief or something. Compulsivity, though, is you know, washing your hands ten times a day. Then impulse control disorder. Impulse control, like uh, border control. Impulse control, which means uh, <laughs> no uh, inability to restrain oneself behaviorally, which leads to you know, a lot of wrong speech and wrong action. Anxiety disorder means a hell of a lot of anxiety or walking around anxious. Hysteria, which is um, an extreme, you know, is, is <laughs> seems to be uh, encouraged in Primal Scream. Uh, and perhaps they view that hysteria is, um, in a therapeutic setting, an evidence of uh, trauma in the process of being released or primal pain in process of release. Um, not necessarily. Hysteria can also be panic and terror um, and not releasing, but actually um, anchoring <laughs> distorted beliefs or, or a form of psychosis, for sure. There's psychotic hysteria, right? Just walking around screaming. And a great variety of phobias, meaning fears. According to Mr. George Borby, Bori, Bori, whoever he is, somebody who wrote this article thinks that he's worth referencing. The symptoms of neurosis may involve, and again, these. this is what drives the graduate students into uh, hysteria, <laughs> uh, mild hysteria, is um, if you look at this list, you'll say, my God, I'm totally neurotic. Or many people <clears throat> would say, wow, I'm, I fit so many symptoms. Well, symptoms of neurosis doesn't mean one has um, a full-blown 
personality disorder or um, a, a an anchored distortion. Um, we're talking again, all this is lower triad blockage, but uh, the I would say the strength and duration, the intensity and longevity and frequency, how often, how uh, intense, and how long-lasting uh, are the parameters that, that, that separate the arising of symptoms of distortion or symptoms of lower triad blockage, emotional charge in the moment, from what could be called neurosis and then what could go to psychosis where there is um, a lack, uh, bas basically delusionality. Um, the difference between the, the neurotic and the psychotic I was taught was akin to the neurotic builds sandcastles in the sky and the psychotic lives in them. <laughs> like, um, we're talking about levels of lower tracheal blockage or degrees of lower triad blockage. We're talking about degrees of damage to the structure of mind. What's the structure of mind? Well, it's not a physical wall or a physical structure. It's a you know structure used metaphorically. Uh, one's capacity for logic and reason, one's capacity to hold contradictory positions simultaneously to contemplate or consider them, uh, certain aspects of intelligence, obviously, uh, one's ability to receive new information, one's ability to release um, ideas that have been found to be false or inadequate. You know, this is just a totally superficial introductory presentation, okay? Uh, and I'm not saying everything about everything or everything about anything, but um, we can get some sense of what the structure of mind is and damage to the structure of mind is the basis of psychosis, I'd say, living in the sandcastle in the sky, while uh, moderate damage or less damage to the structure of mind or no damage to the structure, but uh, some very unhelpful uh, residence in the house of mind is neurosis. So here we have symptoms of neurosis, according to Mr. Professor Borby, Bori, Bori, Maybe he's South African. Anxiety. These are these are um, manifestations of, of emotional charge, by the way. And all of these manifestations of emotional charge, uh, the substance of emotional charge, the content of what Ra calls emotional charge, sign of imbalance, sign of lower triad blockage, distortions, uh, neuroses, indicators, um, indicate that, yes, there is a problem. Um, it, but again, the... Um, frequency, intensity, and duration. Frequency, how often? Uh, intensity, how strong? And um, frequency, intensity, and duration, how long-lasting, um, are the parameters by which we can analyze or, or look at, you know, to contemplate these arising forms of emotional charge, variations on the theme of emotional charge, that are neurosis indicators or symptoms, but whether we say neurosis or not, and I don't, you don't even need to use the term, clearly there are distortions in the deep mind. Clearly there are lower triad blockages. 
clearly we have emo- we we are triggered to emotional charge sometimes often for some intensely for some uh, sometimes occasionally intensely for most everyone um as indications of of you know distortions in the deep mind that really do associate with uh suppressed pain uh from both childhood and past lives so let's look at the let's go down the line here uh symptoms of neurosis according to the professor include anxiety sadness or depression anger irritability mental confusion low sense of self-worth behavioral symptoms so you know he's now he's putting the mental emotional in with the physical phobic avoidance meaning um i can't touch the doorknob vigilance meaning hypervigilance which means um you know they're looking at me they're looking at me all the time now they may be looking at you <laughs> but you got to know the difference between proper vigilance and um, neurotic or uh, unrealistic vigilance <clears throat> impulsive and compulsive acts right um, obsessive compulsive tendency lethargy which is really a form of depression or a sign of depression cognitive problems such as unpleasant or disturbing thoughts and you know again stuff arises um but some people are consumed with unpleasant disturbing thoughts repetition of thoughts and obsession right so the obsessive is the mental portion thoughts coming back again 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 that can also come from uh too much concentration in samadhi by the way <laughs> uh, hearing that ditty in your the the slogan from the uh, advertisement going round and round this is a little different but it is a chakra blockage no doubt habitual fantasizing meaning particularly living in fantasy um uh it's sort of um the line between confusion um of phys- fantasy and reality now again <laughs> from the movies we're seeing we can understand that anyone's understanding of reality is based on totally fluid relative ever-changing perceptions and beliefs and memory right perceptions memories beliefs and everything's always in shift in flux right it's uh, anicca rules the day everything is impermanence uh and so there is <clears throat> um healthy and very therapeutic fantasizing and then there's neurotic or unhelpful self-harming fantasizing and then there's psychotic fantasizing so and people may go all between you know jump into and out of the different forms so again all this needs a lot of unpacking uh but here we're talking about you know a significant frequency a moderate intensity and a moderate long-lastingness of all of these symptoms or tendencies indicating that you know there really is a problem or this definition of neurosis negativity and cynicism right the the pessimist the bitter cynic walking around angrily um criticizing everything right <laughs> look online you'll see a whole lot of them interpersonally neurosis involves or may be indicated by dependency some of which is healthy and necessary or useful you know realistic aggressiveness some of which is also very important <laughs> perfectionism some of which is also very useful but these are again degrees right don't you know how how tight is the lute string t- uh you know uh tuned don't tune it don't tighten too much how to tune 
the strings of mind, the symphony of uh, mental creation, uh, some aggression is necessary. Some dependence is um, inevitable. Some perfectionism is very important. Then we go on to the uh, further end, schizoid isolation. <laughs> Schizoidal. Schizoid is a funny term. It's actually uh, intensive. It, it's almost like psychotic autism. Uh, people, uh, um, some people may say Asperger's is associated with schizoidal tendency. But isolation here, we're talking about interpersonal behavior. Uh, isolation coming from a real um, disturbed mind thinking um, associated with some need to be, <clears throat> for need for isolation. Like a terrible fear of people seeing the pimple on my nose so I'm a hermit in the woods for 40 years. <laughs> like that. Socio-culturally inappropriate behaviors, <clears throat> like what? Doing meditation or uh, channeling. <laughs> so some of these are a little dangerous in the hands of psychotic leadership. Neurosis may be defined simply as, quote, poor ability to adapt to one's environment, in inability to change one's life patterns, indeed, and inability to develop a richer, more complex, more satisfying personality. So you can see... Um, later thoughts on the treatment or the healing of neurosis um, have a softer language to them. Uh, but, you know, uh, I think it was uh, Krishnamurti said something like, or Gandhi, I guess it was Krishnamurti, there's something like there's no, there's no virtue or there's no great achievement in becoming well adapted to a profoundly sick society. And so, all these uh, professionals who uh, frame mental illness or distress, really, we're talking about distress, variations of distress, uh, in terms of adaptation, poor adaptation, you know, an adjustment disorder. Oh, it's an adjustment disorder. That was the throwaway diagnosis we were taught in graduate school. When you don't know what to do, when you don't know how to diagnose, just say adjustment disorder. Well, everything's an adjustment disorder. Adjustment to Anicca Nata Dukkha, huh? <laughs> Have you adjusted well to the, the reality of the three marks? Well, only a Buddha and a Bodhisattva are well adjusted to that. So, only a Buddha and a Bodhisattva, only Atman and um, the one who's gone beyond all samsara are well adjusted to the environment of the 31 planes that are marked by the three poisons, impermanence, insubstantiality, and distress, right? Dukkha. This whole discussion of neurosis is a discussion of distress. <laughs> the only one that's finished distress is finished with the octave, seems to me. And even higher self uh, is not finished. And obviously the Confederation has um, uh, generated grievous consequences um, in their multiple naive interventions in 3D history in the last 75,000 years here. So they've uh, made and experienced distress as well. So, <laughs> the psychology has got some limitations, obviously, because of its uh, lack of understanding of spirituality and metaphysics and uh, multidimensional reality and karma and past lives. But, <clears throat> indeed, inability to change life patterns is a problem. Whether we, we can drop the word neurosis and just say these are problems. 
it is a problem not to be able to adapt well enough, you know, in Rome to the Roman way or on Earth to the 3D repeater uh, society run by, you know, crypto fascists. <laughs> it's a real problem, but it's difficult to adapt to that, you know. And an inability to develop a richer, more complex, more satisfying personality, meaning self-appreciation, the inability to appreciate and grow, learn and grow. So anytime we have a difficulty in learning and growing, yeah, sure, we're not developing richer, more complex, and more complex, right? <laughs> mm, that's that's the intellectual's bias here. The, the professional's bias here is more complex is better. However, however, uh, a, you know, Michelangelo on the Sistine Chapel is profoundly complex, but profoundly uh, beautiful, glorious, magnificent, majestic, uh, godly, sacred. Um, more than a self, uh, more than a tiny snowflake? Well, maybe not. So, I wouldn't necessarily say that complexity is a sign of growth, but certainly the ability to expand beauty and harmony um, ever wider, ever more so, which can be called complexity, is a sign of greater spiritual development. And so, okay, so whatever we call, whatever neurosis is, or whatever we're using, whatever term we're using, um, childhood and past life pain that gets suppressed, whether or not it rises to the level of trauma and structural damage to the mind, uh, when suppressed and imprinted, when imprinted and suppressed, you know, pain that's imprinted and thus and then suppressed, because it, it, suppression is the imprinting, you say. The imprinting of pain is the inability to release or vent. Releasing is done by catharsis or deep mind subtle healing, not only catharsis for release, but surely non-released equals suppressed equals imprinting equals imprinted equals the basis of all sorts of tendencies that are of distress, of, of uh, more dukkha than you need. Self-made dukkha. <laughs> I mean, you can say it's all self-made dukkha, but let's just say unnecessarily self-made dukkha versus the inevitable self-made dukkha. All right? How about that? <laughs> so third density dukkha is the inevitable dukkha. Uh, self-made, unnecessarily self-made dukkha, unnecessary self-made dukkha is what we're calling neurosis. When it gets to a very extreme place of, of structural damage to the, the very uh, functional basis of 3D consciousness, then we go to psychosis. And the release is the name of the game. <laughs> the release is the... We're talking about, you know... Um, Shiva Shakti Union what are we talking about we're talking about how to uh, allow the pranic charge of intelligent in, intelligent energy to go from root to crown that's it from Malkut to uh, Sahasrara and that's it uh, so it's actually Muladhara Malkut is the Hebrew which uh, has some painful connotations I'd say but uh, Muladhara I, I'm not sure if Muladhara is Third, anyway, first chakra, from red to violet, or red to white, from one to seven, is the name of the game. That's the game. That's the purpose of evolution. <clears throat> and uh, what we're calling neurosis 
which indeed is the result of imprinted and i.e. suppressed <clears throat> neuroticized pain um, is a lower triad blockage that needs healing and that's the work so <clears throat> next time we're going to continue this um, back and forth between the page on primal therapy go back to Janov's discussion of needs and pain and the continued discussion of neurosis in terms of Jung's theory and a little discussion on the page uh, on catharsis you know you can say well it's the cathars right well the cathars got it from Greek and the Greek actually means purification or cleansing and so <clears throat> we're gonna um, we're gonna dance in between or alternate like a square dance or a, a triangle dance right humans do a square dance but <laughs> we'll try a triangle dance <clears throat> between the pages on primal therapy neurosis and catharsis uh, <clears throat> and I think it's wonderful stuff and I hope you like it too and thank you for being here see you next time and good night